I'm the creator of my life. And so is everybody else, the 7 billion people. Now I guess we don't always produce our intended outcomes, but it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It all means that you just didn't produce your intended outcome. And there's a whole opportunity to review, look at the actions that you've taken, and look whether they're effective or ineffective actions. Life is really simple. Yeah. Everything else is a story. Hello everybody and welcome to Running From Comfort. Today's show, our guest is Rugare Gomo. And don't forget to roll the R. Rugare has a very inspiring story. He came to Australia from Zimbabwe at the age of 14 and that kick-started an incredible journey which I'm going to let Rugare tell you himself. As today's podcast, we cover his story, we cover his journey, but we also cover some important topics that I think you guys can really take away and learn from. Some of these topics include getting rid of your limiting beliefs, how to overcome being in a rut, as well as talking about you know the power of vulnerability and storytelling and collaboration. There's so many important topics that are covered here, but finally, I just hope that anybody listening to this can be inspired and empowered by Rugare's story. And seriously, if you're sitting there and you're trying to do things and you have limiting beliefs, this is the podcast for you because after you hear Rogare's story, I hope that that can maybe inspire you to start breaking down some of those limiting beliefs that you hold about yourself and start unlocking and unleashing your full potential. So get the notebook out, take some notes for this one because there is a lot covered and there is a lot to take away. Finally, if you enjoy today's show, make sure you head on over to whatever platform you're listening to this on and give it a rating and a review. And don't forget to take a screenshot of you listening on your smartphone Put that up on your Instagram story, tag out Adrugare Gomo and tag me out at Galloway's underscore take. Let us know you're listening, let us know what you've learned and finally, if you are just chilling at home when you're on your lunch break, whatever it may be and you want to watch this, well, the full video of this interview is on my YouTube channel so head on over to Galloway's Take and check that out. Hope you guys enjoy today's show. So here on today's show, I have with me Rugare Gomo. Rugare, is that correct pronunciation? It's perfect pronunciation. Got the R rolling happening there. <laughs> it's a little bit of a tiny bit of wog in my blood that allows me to do that. Exactly. I, I love always testing Australians saying my name. <laughs> Rugare, you really got to roll the R. You have to roll the R. Rugare <laughs> is my name. So you've come, you've come a very long way to be here. You've got quite an incredible journey. Um, I went and actually attended a talk of yours, I think you recall, um, back down at St Kilda, that was with Melbourne Silicon Beach. Yes. And you shared a lot of your story. And I think there is a lot from your story that people can really take away because I think something that happens in the world is a lot of people put a lot of limiting beliefs on themselves. So I always find it interesting when you've got somebody like you who, to be in the position you're in now, has to go through so many different obstacles to get there, but, you, but here you are now, we're sitting here. So yes. I want to hear more about you, but before we get started, just briefly, right now, you're doing high-performance coaching, is that? Sure, so I'll just share a little bit about myself inside of how I'm related to in the world. So I'm related to as a high-performance coach, a lawyer, investor, and a philanthropist. Mm. That's how I'm related to in the world, you know? So many people always start by, what do you do? So um, it's very specific how I'm communicating this because what I exist for really is to you know, to touch and inspire the lives of people. That's what I exist for. And then I have different 
uh, projects and organizations that I use as my vehicles to bring that to life. And as a result, people relate to me in a particular way in different scenarios. Yeah, okay. All right, so to begin with, so I don't know, how, how should we begin? I think a great way to begin would be, let's talk a little bit about your story. So where, tell us where this begins. So you're from Zimbabwe? Yes. So, you know, there's a very specific reason why I said people relate to me as a high performance coach, lawyer, you know, philanthropist and investor, because that will come down to my life journey and my life story inside of limiting beliefs, you know. So inside of that context, let's rewind to my growing up in Zimbabwe. So I, I grew up in Zimbabwe. Um, I grew up to a very loving family. I love my mom, my dad, my mom and dad. Uh, you could say were like community workers, social workers. My mom was heavily involved in the early 90s in HIV AIDS education. Mm-hmm. So she was one of the first like first Zimbabwean women going into community and um, sharing about HIV and AIDS and talking to men about using condoms, talking to prostitutes about protection, you know. So my mom has already been um, in the community. My dad, uh, is passionate about youth leadership programs mm. so um, for him the development of youth was very important but youth becoming leaders for themselves and their lives so they had youth leadership programs street kid programs family counseling pro- programs so I grew up in a family that had lots of different diverse um, people coming to our home yeah. as well so that just gives you a context of my 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 family life yeah, and already your parents, they're sort of taking on roles. They're not easy roles at all. I mean, I'm sure, you know, especially with your mother going out there, being an educator in that field, you know, that's, I mean, I imagine that must have been very sort of maybe uncomfortable kind of role, I would imagine. And then I suppose your father as well. I think, did you also mention he used to, he was a pastor? I mean, yes, that's... so my dad um, trained as a pastor. So that, that was the context of it. But he it was non-denominational. It wasn't about making people become a Christian. It was really about instilling extraordinary values in the human being so that we can live empowered and enabled lives. Yeah, which is very, I think that's very important as well. And especially the fact he was doing that work in the youth community, I can imagine you guys would have had a very big impact. And then I suppose the exposure to the different types of people, as you were just saying before, Yes, so I'm, I'm proud of my mom and my dad because of the exposure or the difference that they've made um, to the people of Zimbabwe and to the, to the African continent at large as well. And so that also helped me with the kinds of values that I have. Now, one of the things to note is that my mom and dad never got to have a, a university education. Mm. They were, they're rural. They actually came from rural villages, you know. And so for them... Um, they didn't have the same kind of opportunities that were starting to be available to my brother, myself, and my sister. But when my mom married my dad, she requested that and asked my dad to make a promise that all the children would get an education that they would not otherwise have had, Mm. which was very, very um, extraordinary for them to create that as a context you know, which I didn't grow up in a wealthy family, yet I'm here today talking to you, Zach, and I'm speaking in English. You know, that was very important for my mom and my dad that their children could speak and communicate globally. And English happens to be one of the languages that you get to communicate globally and open opportunities. Mm. You know, what it was like in my family is you wouldn't go to bed without reading books. 
So every night you had to read books. I grew up watching BBC, CNN, being exposed to the wider world out there beyond what was happening in Zimbabwe. Mm. And so um, I'm, in my family, my voice mattered. So being able to communicate and share my thoughts and my ideas mattered. And I'm always grateful for that kind of upbringing, considering I lived in a context where children should be seen and not heard. But for me as a child, my voice mattered. And so I now have the privilege of continuing to use it now today. Yeah. And the importance of using your voice as well. So I guess um, getting back to that there. So growing up, I suppose, because your parents were also working in those certain fields, I suppose they uh, sort of really grasped how important that sort of concept is in using your voice. And now, of course, you use that to inspire and empower people. But from that point there, so you're in Zimbabwe, you're growing up, you're being exposed to English, but your parents, it wasn't initially part of their plan for you to come out to Australia, was no, it? No, it wasn't even, it was not in their purview whatsoever. Mm. So, um, inside of my mum and dad's work, a lot of people would come and volunteer for either my mum's organisation or my dad's organisation. We had people from the UK, Australia, Canada, the US, and typically they would intern, you know, it could be for two weeks, three months, six months, 12 months. Um, and they would actually come and stay in our family home. And that was really exciting for me, you know, as a child, you know, you're having people from a different part of the world. It's, it's an adventure. You know, yeah. it, it opened up my world and my mind to new things that would not necessarily have been available in the context I was growing up in, in Zimbabwe, in my small city, Mutare. Yeah, because I can't, I can't imagine there'd be a lot of like diversity in community in Zimbabwe. I mean, is that a false assumption or...? There is lots of diversity in terms mm. of, you know, the villages, the dialects, um, but there is there wasn't at that time I was growing up the kind of opportunity to explore the world unlike many Australians where coming of age it's typical to go on your working holiday visa, get a working holiday visa, yeah, get yeah, here, yeah, travel the UK, world. yeah. That that's impossible. Mm. What we're doing is getting into university, making sure that um, we have a job and surviving. If you don't get an education, you don't create um, income, that means you're not going to survive. That's the game for us. Yeah. So, very different context. So for myself, by having this exposure of reading books, having people from overseas um, come and live with us, I, it grew inside of me that one day I'd like to go and explore that for myself and not just be able to read it in the books or just hear it from another person in our home. So that's part of what stirred inside of me as well. Another thing is because of the way I was raised, I also did not always have a sense of belonging. So English is my first language, mm. but when I went to school, nearly all the people spoke Shona. So immediately I stood out in that regard, you know, um, I had a voice. So when I saw injustices, I would speak out rather than be timid, I'd go after it. So mm. already I, I felt like I was different in yeah. that regard. Now, being, so that was what was inside of me, however, that's not how it shows up as a child. No. How it shows up as a child is, you know, protect yourself. Don't stand out. You know, be quiet. Mm. You know, only avoid people so that you're not bullied or targeted. Even though 
inside of me I had this strong urge just to continuously express myself to go after things that were bigger than I knew myself to be mm. so many people would relate to me as shy quiet and timid actually yeah um, so but that's not what I was that's just how people related to me and this is what is very normal in the world today. People say, oh, you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. All these labels that are put on people, society yeah. puts on people. I don't subscribe to that. People actually think yeah. I'm, an, I'm an extroverted person. But believe it or not, I don't really like spending time with most people. I actually spend lots of time by myself yeah. um, most of the time. And I'm out here using my voice and I'm charismatic as I'm doing it. But that, that doesn't make me an extrovert. No. And you know. I, I could definitely relate to that. Um, I'd definitely say I'd, I wouldn't subscribe to being either an introvert or an extrovert. I have times where, you know, I'm out there, I'm loud, I'm trying to, you know, maybe I've got an idea. So, hey, let's make a video or something. Sure. Or, you know, I mean, I suppose you'd say something like podcast is kind of extroverted. But just like you, I really like my alone time. Yes. The thing that's, di the thing that's distinct about me now from my past is that I'm free. Yeah. So I'm not an introvert or extroverted. I'm free. Yeah. You know. So I'm free to be exactly myself. So I'm actually free to express my ideas. And so because I have more freedom than most people mentally, it can be misconstrued as I'm an extrovert. That's all that's happening. Yeah. And even there, that's an example, I suppose. People always like try and put things into boxes. They try and put people into like categories, but you're not bound by anything, are you? Not at all. Mm. So, you know, when I was 14 years old, then I decided that I wrote a letter. I actually mm. wrote a letter to a family friend um, who lived here in Australia, who had come and interned with my dad's work and had lived with us. And I'd known him since I was five years old. And I wrote a letter with a vision of me getting an education here in Australia that I would not have had um, in Zimbabwe. Now, I didn't tell my mom and my dad about that. So, and the reason I didn't tell them because how I felt about it was that me being a child and sometimes in the culture, it's impolite to ask your elders for something without, you know, going through your parents. And I didn't want my mom and dad to say, well, I don't think you can ask that. So I had the courage and just wrote the letter and um, sent it to Andrew. So that was my first step, you know, inside of a vision. Now, I remember writing in the letter something along the lines of wanting to become a forensic scientist, something like that. You know, I'd grown up reading the Patricia Conwell books, you know, with characters like Kate Caspenter was a forensic scientist, and that didn't even exist in Zimbabwe. So, uh, like when you're saying forensic scientist, is this kind of, uh, all I'm thinking right now, is that like some of the stuff you see on like CSI, yes. like that type of stuff? that sort of stuff. That was even before CSI existed, right? And that in my world, that didn't exist. We have Patricia Conwell books mm. that had created that notion. And so for us, that fed me. I was like, wow, what would that be like being a forensic scientist? Wow, that profession doesn't even exist here in Zimbabwe, you know? And mm. um, so it's like, but why should I not be able to pursue something like that? How come people elsewhere in the world can do that, but not me? You know, so I always had this kind of questions. And why not me? Mm. How can I have that too? Was one of my big things. So you had to find your own way. Completely. Mm. And my way was leaving the country and discovering it. So that was the first step. And at 14 to come to that decision as well, like that's, that's no small decision. 
it's not a small decision, but it's not it wasn't a small or big decision. If you grow up in the Zimbabwean context and you meet many Zimbabweans, even 14 year old, they're hungry for education. Like when you meet them, they'll be like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. When I grow up, I want to be a movie, a movie director. Like you'll, you'll hear the stories of the girls in my foundation and they're young, hungry. But that's also been the context of what it is to be Zimbabwe. As I said, you know, growing up, if you don't have an education, you don't have, you won't be able to live and survive most of the time in that. In, so as a young age, there is something at stake even for youngsters. Mm. At that time in my life, there were two main universities to go to, the University of Zimbabwe and NAST. So the whole country is competing to go into those, into, into those two universities. So you better work hard and be clear about what you want or you'll be left behind. <laughs> it's that simple, mm. you know. Unlike here, where there's the luxury of multiple universities, there's yep. even the luxury to think and go on a gap year, what do I now want to do? That kind of luxury was not available mm. for most Zimbabweans, in essence. So, me having clarity was a no-brainer, it was in the context of survival. Yeah, and then so from the time you wrote that letter then, what, sort, what, what went on next? Because something that you talk about a lot is, uh, or what you did speak about Silicon Beach talk, which stuck with me, was you don't talk about yourself as somebody who was self-made. You say, I think you said it, it takes a tr a, it took a community to get to where you are now. So yes. I suppose you, you were somebody who was, I mean, you did say you were shy to get, to get help at some points, but more in the sense that you're not afraid to get help. Sure. So when you wrote this letter to this guy, what sort of transpired after that? Sure, you're very right. I, it takes a community. The person I am today, the person you're talking to, is formed by hundreds, if not thousands of people having conversations with me and contributing to me, mm. you know. And so I want to be very clear, I'm definitely not self-made, and that's why I always say how, why, how people relate to me um, inside of what I've created. So let's fast forward. So here I am, you know, I'm 16 years old now. I'm here in Australia, right on the 16th of January, 2001. And I remember getting off at Sydney airport with my one bag and 325, you know, dollars. Mm. And I'm so excited, you know, as a 16 year old, you know, it's an adventure. It is an adventure to come here. Now, the things that I knew and things that I didn't, I knew how to speak English and I knew how to talk. Now, when I came to Australia, I thought I was coming to like Great Britain. I thought it was going to be very similar to Great Britain. Not that I'd ever been, even though I was born, by the way, in England, mm. but I never grew up in England. Oh, like, born in England I was well. born in England, mm. but I was stateless for 15 years of my life because at that time, being born there doesn't give you citizenship. And so I was, you know, I wasn't recognized by the British. I wasn't recognized as a Zimbabwean either. And I got Zimbabwean citizenship by descent in the end. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, I could imagine. For. Um, but so for me, it was an adventure, you know, and what was there to lose anyway? Mm. You know, I'm coming into the Western world and in my country or in most developing countries, um, it's created that the Western world is the be all and always the endless opportunity. And inside of all the books I'd read, you know, I grew up reading Charles Dickens, I grew up reading Shakespeare, that's a very Anglo-Saxon education that Zimbabweans had before the Zimbabwean crisis. Um, and so I thought it was going to be like in the books I'd read. And coming to Australia was nothing like that. It's a very different culture altogether. Mm. And so I did have a cultural shock. You know, I had the cultural shock of, first of all, um, 
that not everybody wanted to go to school in yeah. Australia. I thought that everybody would have gone to school and everybody had got a degree. Because yeah. in my country, that's what everybody is striving for. Yet here, not everybody sees that as an opportunity. So that was a shock for me. Secondly, growing up in Zimbabwe, we did not have dishwashers, microwaves, um, or what do you call them, washing machines. Well, yeah. we didn't have any in my home in any case. Um, some of the wealthy families would have had that, but definitely none of my, the people I knew had that. So that for me was a whole new learning. Dedicated internet. Like, wow, what a privilege to have dedicated internet. Yeah. Being able to connect at any time with people you know, around the world. I don't know, all the things you can do with the internet. Completely. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly gobsmacked at just how much opportunity there is on the internet. And every time you see some story about somebody, I don't know, making it big or doing something on the internet, you know, you've got 14-year-olds making, I don't know, millions of dollars a year reviewing toys on YouTube channels. Yes. like. And I think it's something that gets overlooked a lot. I, don't, I think a lot of people overlook the potential of the internet, potentially because of their own limiting beliefs or maybe they don't fully understand it. But Correct. Like, for example, here we are, we are on video and talking, but for many people, doing this right now would be very confronting. Mm. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't have the right clothes. I don't speak well. I don't have confidence. The list can go on and on and on on as you can imagine as limiting beliefs but all of that is made up it's a story that they're telling themselves or have heard other people tell of them and then they live their lives in the stories of others as mm. if it's true or to, crazy or to try and live up to what they think other people's expectations are correct to try and fit other people's molds yeah and definitely that's something i've been really making a conscious effort of is to try and remove myself from other people's expectations, even to the point where I almost try and remove myself from my own expectations to try and free myself in a place where I can just sort of go, just go in a direction. Very powerful. Mm. I'm the creator of my life, and so is everybody else, the seven billion people. Now, people um, have related to me as the shy one. If I'm the shy one, would I be doing this podcast right no. now or video cast? No. You know, I've been related to as um, not good academically. If I was not good academically, would I have created the myriad of businesses and philanthropy that I've done? Nope. So we must be on high alert regarding what the lies are and what's actually happening in reality. Mm. Now, I guess we don't always produce our intended outcomes, but it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It all means that you just didn't produce your intended outcome. And there's a whole opportunity to review, look at the actions that you've taken, and look whether they're effective or ineffective actions. Life is really simple. Yeah. Everything else is a story. One of my old bosses, he once said to me, a mistake is only a mistake if you don't learn from it. Mm. And then, of course, he got the hundreds of, probably even thousands of mirages of different quotes that essentially say the same thing, which is really, probably one of my favorite ways I've heard it is, success is failure turned inside out. Mm. It's probably... And that's kind of going all the way forward to, I suppose, a lot of people sort of, they're fearing the failure. They've, so one, they put themselves into the box. Two, they've got this constant fear of, well, what if I screw up? How am I going to get back on my feet? Is this going to be embarrassing? And at the end of the day, it's just go out there, make the mistake, learn from it, and that will help you grow. Would you sort of agree on that point? Sure. You know, and if more nuanced, and I can only share from my story, Mm -hmm. as well so there's nothing special about me 
mm. all human beings are the same you know I happen to be black you happen to be white but you have fears I have fears you have dreams and aspirations so do I but so do every single human being mm. so one of the things I dealt with coming to Australia was I noticed how I wasn't even comfortable in my own skin mm. so that was one of the first things you know there's always a context that work brought up in um, and that I was brought up in that it's a white man's world you know so as it's a white man's world so as a black man and this applies to my many minorities you have to work 10 times harder just to make it or go for the same opportunities you know you hear it from from as simple as Beyonce or Michelle Obama or Barack Obama or Oprah you know as black people inside of the context it's a context mm. that it is a white man's world so to stand out you have to work 10 times harder so I did work 10 times harder but at, but it was still in the context of me not being comfortable in my own skin and along my journey I got to choose and accept myself exactly the way I am and I'm not secondly I'm gay yeah you know in Zimbabwe you can go to jail for being gay still in, yes still oh wow in fact there's still countries out in you know um, I was doing this work today looking at um, how I'm going to make a difference to a billion people and in Africa there's certain countries where you will um, be killed for being gay. North Nigeria. Be killed. Yes. Sudan, Somaliland, Somali. There, there's a death penalty for being gay. There's only one country that allows me to adopt children if I choose to, and my relationship is recognized on the African continent. One. One out of 54 countries. So, am I going to use my voice to make a difference? Absolutely, because mm. I have the privilege of being here in Australia to talk about being gay. You know, I get emails in, and messages on my Facebook from people saying, thank you so much for sharing your story, with pseudonyms, by the way. And mm. then they'll tell me, I can't, you know, I, I can't use my real name on this, on this platform because of all the stigma in my home country. Mm. That's what people in my community are still dealing with. That's not okay with me. No, it's not okay at all. It's a shame that we still have that in the world these days. Yes, but it's not only in the African countries. Here mm. in Australia, the number of people who are still hiding their sexuality because of the stigma, because of what they're the point of view of getting opportunities is still rife. You know, we have high suicide rates in the gay community um, still in Australia. Mm. Because if they come out of their family, what does that mean? Will I be you know, ostracized by my dad? Will I be accepted? That's so not okay. And we so we, we live in a so-called worst, uh, the first world country. Mm. Yet it's happening under our noses right here, right now. So who are we going to be about that? Is there times where you feel disadvantaged because of your sexuality still? Is there anything uh, where you still may feel discriminated against for that? Well, I've never felt it. Doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah. So... I, I don't live in the context of others, so I've got my values, I know what I'm up to, so people are either going to opt in or opt out. Mm. It's yeah. that simple. So that's how I live my life in any case. Um, so, but my story is also unique. So, and I want to create a context because all the results that you get in life come out from a context. If I live my, in, my, in a context that I don't get opportunities because I'm gay, mm. I'll find that would be my reason all the time. Yeah. If I found, you know, if I lived in a context that I don't get opportunity because I'm black, 
that I'd always find that everywhere. So yeah. my context is very critical and most people don't even know what their context of life is. So part of me being a high performance coach is that I'm always distinguishing with my with the people around me their context for the results they're producing in life. So it's because then I'm either playing the game of ah oh, I'm a victim or I'm playing the game of I'm making a difference. Very two different things. Yeah. The things may show up the same in both contexts, but how I respond to it is very different in that regard. Yeah. Okay. Does no. that answer your question? Yeah, that does. So uh, what you're sort of saying there is you could adopt that victim mentality, or well, not a victim mentality, but if you had that sort of mentality, you'd be putting yourself in a box and holding yourself back. Correct. So for example, you know, I was Westpac the other day and I was closing down a bank account and the, this is what the woman said to me. Um, please keep your card out because you need to use the same card for closing down all my four bank accounts. So I inserted my card, removed it, and was about to put it back in my wallet. And she was really irritated with me. She said, I told you to keep it out. Mm. That's what she said. In that moment, I could be like, are you being racist to me? Mm. Are you talking to me that way because I'm black? That I could be that way. Yeah. But all that happened, she said, was, I told you to keep it out. And I can be like, actually, you did. You actually communicated that to keep my card out. I was not fully present. And I was about to put it back in my wallet. And that's really irritating. I irritated her in that moment. And I can be responsible for that. Now, where we could go to as minorities is, ah, oh, that's racism. But the way she responded could have been no different to if it was a white person, a person who is Muslim and Indian. I don't know. But I know that I have a say in how I'm going to be in every single moment. And in that moment, I could see my reaction. Like, how dare you speak to me that way? You know? But I chose to, like, be responsible that it was actually my action that brought that outcome in that moment. Now, I want to be very clear yeah. and be very responsible for my communication. I'm not saying racism doesn't happen. Yeah. Do you get my communication? Yeah. I'm not saying and discrimination doesn't happen. I'm not saying that homo, you know, homophobia doesn't happen. It mm. all does happen. However, um, we have to be very nuanced about it mm. in every moment. Otherwise, if we just call it out in every single moment, like, oh, they were angry for me, they're racist, that then it's, does, it's, there's no nuanced conversation of what it really is mm. anymore in that regard. And I want to be very clear, racism, discrimination, homophobia still happens. Yeah, of course, no. Um, and, you know, I think I would say as a society, especially in the West, we're getting better at eliminating those things at the same time as you said they do still exist but i suppose i think what would be an important takeaway is is to not limit yourself because that may happen or because of the fact well this is a good this is a good point Mm. so um the question is is it really being eliminated or is it being disguised as different things now okay that's the question i would be actually asking If we look at the leadership in the world, in America, Great Britain, even in Australia, um, be very conscious about the politics that is out there. Mm. 
kids might not be able to go to school, certain schools, because they're gay. Mm. That's being institutionalized right under our noses right now. Okay. Yeah. So there's still a lot of issues in the world that we need to sort out, but... Completely. I'm not saying that they, they, we are... The, the, the great thing is that there is really a great body of people who are being vocal about it. Mm. But we must be really conscious and really look at how these things are playing out at a leadership level. Yeah. Our, le- our leadership is very critical. Bad leaders, bad country. Good leaders, great countries. I suppose now we go back into your story a bit now. So I think where did we leave off? So you've made it to Australia. It's a whole new adventure. It's a new adventure. You know, as I said, um, what became apparent was like not being comfortable in my own skin. Mm. I was now surrounded by my whole community is white. So it was very, I stood out. I was the only black person at school, you know. Did that make you feel uncomfortable? It didn't make me feel uncomfortable, Mm. um, but I stood out. Yeah. So it just brought in a new set. I, I'm always grateful for the opportunity. I didn't. There's nowhere else I wanted to be. You know, for me it was great. My my classmates were amazing, but they they too were part of my community in um, supporting me eliminate my limiting beliefs. As simple as you know, I wanted to do performing arts, but I didn't have the confidence to go and do the audition. And my friend Steve Cole says, "No, go and do that audition." Mm. You know, I wanted to um, trial for the basketball and my friends were like, no, go and audition. So just being pushed to do the things that I wanted to do mm. rather than think and dream about it and sit back because I felt I wasn't good enough. I've never tried that in Zimbabwe. It was all unknown, you know. So I'm very grateful for my high school community. You know, people who are 16, 17 years old who actually backed me. Mm. Um, as simple as going to parties. I remember Friday pizza night at the boys. That was new for me. And we had so much fun in that regard. As simple as going to a party and seeing some of the parents allowing their children to drink in Zimbabwe. You know, some of the teenagers are not allowed to drink. Mm. That's seen as um, disrespectful. You're going to be on a wayward way. And here I'm in an environment seeing teenagers drink and drinking alcohol. I'm like, what have I in the world have I come to? Is Australia, was Australian drinking culture a bit of a shock to you? Because I think, especially in our youth, we have a bit of a binge drinking culture. <laughs> yes. Just... <laughs> it, 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 it made no sense. It still does make no sense to me, actually. <laughs> I get the enjoyment of alcohol. Don't get yeah. it wrong. I love my wine. We have this strange urge to just want to drink until we black out or something. I don't yes. know. It's just very Australian. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so... There were things where I had no confidence in pursuing because I didn't feel good enough. You know, one of the things that I didn't even know about myself at that time was that I'm gay as Mm. well. So I had my whole journey of coming out as well. I was so scared because I grew up in a Christian family. So Mm. if I were to choose being gay, what did that mean about my belief system? It meant I had to question every single value Mm. that I held. And that's scary. That's going to be a difficult process too. Scary very very scary because you're letting go of everything that you've known and stepping into the unknown and the brain doesn't like that the brain likes to be safe and comfortable Mm. and that's why we have we still have so many people who don't come out yeah because it's scary because the world is there there isn't a safe environment to say you accept it it's not talked enough in places like there's the mitochondria oh yeah you you know people say really derogatory things Mm. 
So how can there be a change of society, yet what we're communicating out there still, um, even unconsciously, you don't even know that we're cont contributing to creating an unsafe space. Even I have to watch that. It's, it's all our responsibility in yeah. that regard. So coming out was a very scary thing for me because it meant questioning every single thing I believed in. It meant um, questioning whether my brother was going to accept me. Would my sister accept me? Would my mom and dad accept me? Would my country accept me? So for a very long time, um, I did not um, come out. But I created my support mechanisms. My best friend, Jess, and I, we made a pact while we were at university. You know, we would never take drugs, would never kill ourselves, um, and we would strive to be the best gay people possible as a demonstration so that the new generation can be free. And she's still my best friend today. How, many, that, how much of that pact is still together? Completely together. We grow together. We're, part, we're intertwined in each other's life. I grow, she grows, she grows, I grow. Um, and she's just an extraordinary, brilliant mind as well. And so I'm grateful for that friendship, you know. How important is it to have good friends like that? She's my first friend. She's my, well, she's my first true friend. Mm. You know, growing up in Zimbabwe, when I felt isolated and alone and that nobody got me, she got me completely. Mm. I didn't, you know, she was one of the first people I could be completely vulnerable with. And she with me too. And that safe space allowed, gave me power to be more vulnerable with more people. Mm. Sometimes it just takes one person to have that safe space to practice being vulnerable with to start having the power to be vulnerable with the rest of the world. So she and I, even to today, we have our Friday morning catch-ups, 7.30 to 8.45 a.m. Um, and we empower each other. We are each other's very safe space in all areas of our life. Yeah, and you talk, and you talk about the empowerment of vulnerability. Why is being vulnerable so powerful? If you're not vulnerable, you'll have mental health issues period <laughs> so imagine what it's like then for a, a child or a teenager who can't communicate that they're gay what do you think it's like mm, so I'm, I can't imagine what it'd be like but I'm, I'd imagine you'd be repressing a lot of feelings and emotions completely mm. and then what do you think that's like coming out going out there in the world? do you think that child is going to be free to be and act free to pursue their opportunities mm. I, I know I wasn't. All I spent my time covering up was stopping flamboyant Rugari, try to walk like a man, wear really bulky clothes so that you're not spotted out. I wasn't free. I wasn't enjoying life. Mm. As being, I was living a very strategic life rather than a life full of freedom to be myself, a f my free, full-blown self-expression. Yeah, and everything that you reeled off there, I mean, those are all things in terms of how you'd be perceived from somebody else's perspective. So a lot of that, um, what I see there is, you know, a lot of those things you were worried about is other people's opinions. And that all stems back to the fact that you sort of had to deal with those beliefs. So then I'm guessing where sort of this is going is as you become more vulnerable and I suppose, I don't really know how to describe this, I suppose as you learn to be yourself more and to be proud of yourself, does that sort of empower you to then be able to just operate without all those fears? Yeah, well, I can operate with, all, with, with or without fear. 
Mm. So it's, it's all about what my intention now is. My life is no longer my own. It's inside of a bigger purpose. Mm. You know, my life is bigger than and me now. So if I don't, if I shut up, what of all the Ugandans who get imprisoned? What of the Sudanese who get imprisoned? You know, it's 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 my, my story is their story. Mm. So I can face and have to face that if I I have a responsibility to use my voice, whether I get imprisoned or not. Just like Nelson Mandela, mm. you know, Nelson Mandela was in jail for decades. You know, standing for the possibility of a whole nation being free. He was scared too, from time to time, but he stood for the vision of a nation mm. being free. That's what I'm standing for: a world where children, people, don't have to be scared because of their sexual orientation no more. Mm. That's not okay. No, doesn't mean I'm not scared. Absolutely, I get scared. Yeah, and I choose, but I choose to use my voice, fully present to that. There are consequences. That's powerful, and that's where I suppose that's where the power really comes from—the fact that you're sort of choosing to put yourself out there, regardless of whatever potential consequences could be. But you said, like you said, it's bigger than yourself. So, and you said part of your purpose now is to sort of be a voice in that sort of community so um how are you acting that out well this is this is great so i'm not acting it out in the community mm. like i'm not really i i'm not like a gay activist mm. if that makes sense i'm not part of any organization that says pro-gay institutions or you know i'm not there yet but right now i'm using my voice and i know this my voice is going to go around the world right now yeah so that's how I do it. That's the power of storytelling. Exactly. So um, in every moment, I'm always looking at how can I bring people together? Who can I influence so that we can take a new action to create an inclusive world? You know, Barack Obama always says that the world is better by looking at what brings us together. Mm. <laughs> yes. That's very important. And that's also... Um, sort of the power of collaboration as well, I guess. You know, people working together, creating good environments, creating good networks. And then that's something as well uh, with the internet. There's so much power with collaboration and you see um, something I find amazing as well is just the information sharing, people coming together and just sharing really good and important information, making people aware of these things. I think it's good also, you know, you're on here now, you're speaking up about some of the issues that you see. And then I imagine them you know, people are going to see this and I imagine people are going to be inspired by this as well. So it's very important that we do share and we use the resources like the internet to share important messages. You know, I just finished reading the book by Michelle Obama, Becoming, off the charts, off the charts. If you've not read it, it's a must read. Everybody okay. must read that book. Critical. The thing that has given me new power, so she's given me new power by really owning all of my story. Sometimes I feel that my story or even the little things don't matter. The little things do matter. Mm, they because do. my history is different from your history, you know? So if I can share my history, you can be in my world and you being in my world, and perhaps there can be something that we can do together. And if I can hear your story and the nuances of your story and your history, I can be in your world. 
And sometimes we might find the similarities from our past histories as well. That's where the magic is. So I've made a commitment to myself for the, my entire life to really own my entire life, every single story, all my past, all my mistakes, all my fa- all my failings, or what people, what I have considered my failures, mm. you know, all my successes, and share in the detail of that. Because inside of the sharing of the detail is where the access for something new to arise. Mm. I, I choose no longer to live my life in the context of shame and guilt anymore. Done that, doesn't serve anything. But I choose to live in my, in my life in the context of inclusiveness, diversity, love, affinity. That's where I choose to live from. And it also includes my humanity. I'm not perfect. None of us are. No. But we don't live in a world that allows for our humanity anymore. And that's why many people might choose not to be on a podcast like this. I want, I'm not good enough. I'm not beauty enough. I failed. But what that time when I went bankrupt? So many, so many things. But there's power in every story. Yeah. And do you have a particular story of maybe a failure that you'd like to share? Or So many. <laughs> <laughs> Where does one even begin? Um... One of my so-called failings in life was when I started out in business for the first time. You know, I was, I had a view, you know, I've had this opportunity to come to Australia. Mm. So I've had this context of like being an ambassador for all black people and that the whole world is watching me succeed. So I had no space to be vulnerable, but I created that as all in my mind. So the thing about it was that you know, I was so scared of people. So this was my. This is all to do with me, my limiting beliefs. Mm. I'd go to meeting after meeting. I'd create what would be possible. You know, as my as a consultant, people would want to work with me. I'd go home to write to want to write the proposal, and then I wouldn't. What would show up is like, why would they want to work with me? I'm black. I'm gay. They're pretending. They're just being nice. Mm. They're just being nice. They're just being nice. But my limiting belief was that I did not, I could not see what people saw in me. So I stopped making money. I did not have any business because by the time I would send the proposal would be maybe two weeks later, three weeks later. And by that time, that person has moved on. There was no integrity in how I operated, you know, and it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with my context, how I related to myself in that moment and then when people would ask me how are you doing i'd say i'm fine but i was drowning my debts were piling up i had over twenty five thousand dollars of credit card debt i borrowed thirty thousand dollars from my uncle to start this business you know i had my sister's school fees to manage all these things were happening and then i'd go home and i'd be so um feel worthless for myself feel so such a failure for myself and then i'd open my laptop watch netflix or tv at that time and then order pork ribs so i always tell tell people i ate all my money in pork ribs you know Mm. uber Uber eats Eats is the most dangerous app on my phone i think i I need to delete it (laughs) too much money goes there comfort eating pork ribs pork ribs pork ribs you know and then um it all came falling down 
I had to move out of my apartment in South Bank. Then I had to start a whole journey of uh, allowing to be contributed to. So I called again some friends, Paul and Chanel Robertson from New Zealand who were living here. And I shared with them what I was dealing with and I created with they, I asked if I could move in with them. I, um, first of all, slept on their floor. You know, slept in their apartment. Yeah. I slept on their floor in the apartment. They fed me. In exchange of that, I coached Chanel in her business, you know. Um, and she, she actually came very, she's a global sing songwriter for children. Oh, wow. Um, and inside of that coaching, she actually led, um, was a finalist in the Two Year Awards album a couple of years ago, um, which is extraordinary. And I was really good at that when given the opportunity, but I did not have confidence in myself. Mm. So I had to then share with my family what I was dealing with, which was scary. You know, I was like ashamed. My brother is a big deal. You know, my brother is at the top of his game in the world in what he does. Um, I can't talk about what he does. It's private, but he's a big deal. And so it's like, oh, my brother is better than I am. You mm. know, I had all this shame and guilt that I failed. My parents had let me go when I was 16 years old just to get myself in over $80,000 of debt. Useless. What a failure. And a lot of people in that situation too, that, that, I think, you know, if you examine that, so you're like $80,000 in debt, you have to sleeping on your friend's floor. Like a lot of people would think in that, may that situation, like that, that could break some people, I would imagine. Okay. I mean, that'd be a lot of stress. So I was stressed. I was, I could not get out of bed. I didn't even know what depression was, but what I knew was that it was very difficult for me getting out of bed in the mornings. Mm. That's all I knew, but I had no language for it. I'd never felt that way before. And I realized like, you know, I'm, there's nothing unique about me. All human beings feel the same thing. And so I know that many human beings, millions, if not billions of human beings go through what I go through. And now I can relate because I've gone through it. I know what it's like feeling completely worthless. Mm. I know what it's like feeling completely like a failure. On top of that, I had to continue to find a way to support my foundation. So yeah. I gave my word to support those girls to go to school. So I had to find a way. And yeah. I, think I did. But then it became my journey of authenticity. Mm. I started sharing what I was dealing with. I created game plans. I remember creating my game. People would, would say to me, just go and get any job. And I thought to myself, I could, but if I were to do that, I'm going to get stuck in a rut. So planning is one of my, one of the reasons I am the man I am today is because I plan. I'm, I spend hours planning. Sometimes I'll spend all night planning. I'm a planner. Many people are on the rat wheel doing, 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 doing. Mm -hmm. Inside of that failing, I learned how to plan. So I, I created a game plan. What's my quickest way to generate money before I go bankrupt? And what is it that I want to use my life for, even in the circumstances? And the debt people had said I needed to earn a minimum of $80,000 to just maintain all of this and to provide me with the finances to start clearing it off and give me financial hardship. So I played that game. Then I started talking to my community. I shared with CEOs, you know, about my vision, again, of getting a job. Um, and then I was like, in these three categories, it was either return to be a lawyer, but if I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a commercial lawyer. Um, work as a, in a social enterprise, doing good, or work for a not-for-profit, doing good. That was my game. And I was still willing to go and work at Coles and Pack, or be the front counter boy at McDonald's. 
Yeah. So what job? What was your job getting back into? A lawyer. So I actually returned as a lawyer, and they offered me a hundred thousand dollars, so twenty thousand dollars more than I expected, and also in a new domain that I'd never done before as a commercial lawyer, as a property lawyer. So I won at that, but I played full out. Mm. I played full out. I prepared my CVs. I talked to people. I talked to recruitment people. I was play. I was working. I was getting out of my scenario like a full time job, working eight and hour days. And I'd still feel my heart beating. I still felt unworthy. I still felt like a failure. But I, you know, some of my coaches actually said, "Just keep your basic agreements. Wake up in the morning, make your bed, go and do your exercise." So when you're in that rut, you have to keep your basic agreements so that you can start bringing back power to your life. So that's what I did, and it it, was, it made no sense. My brain thought it was all illogical. And that's why many people are still in the rut of life because the brain will tell you it's illogical because it's inconsistent to being safe and comfortable. There isn't. That's yeah. how the brain operates. You have to get out of the comfort zone for the growth. Completely. And so I'd run, and I'm thinking I'm failing. Where am I going to get my food? But run. So I had to take the action irrespective of what my brain was telling me. So basic things. And that's how I started restoring my life. And actually, it was um, in June when I paid off all my debts, so I'm debt free. In fact, inside of cleaning up all my debts, um, my all my companies are twenty percent profitable. Not paper, but real cash prof- profitable. So, me, I don't, I don't determine profitable by the accounting standards. It's money in the account. That you know, and that's another topic altogether about money and wealth creation and living a legacy. Um, so, it took me three years to clean up that, but I had power. I started having power in that. I still could continue making my difference. When you met me, I still had debt, mm. Zach. Yeah, but it didn't stop me make using my voice. No, I I didn't make. I stopped. It didn't mean that I was worthless. No, all that happened was I had debt. I had a, there was an old version of Fugari called not confident, but then there was a new version called, you know, I have everything and I have infinite possibility and I can do anything I want and create anything. So the new Fugari. So can you say that a bit slower? Because I think that's what you just said is a very important statement. And I think it really does apply to everybody. Yeah. So there was the old Rugare who mm. got himself into debt called not confident, not worthless. Mm-hmm. And then there's the new Rugare called, you know, infinite possibility. I can do whatever I want. I'm a creator that cleaned up old Rugare's mess. Yeah. And if there's something I want people listening to take away from this is... There truly is infinite possibility. I mean, you can really go out there and do anything. Completely. I get messages from people in Australia saying, I can't start a business because I don't have capital. I get messages from people in Zimbabwe. I can't start a business because I have no capital. What's the, what's the similarity? Both people, different countries, different in- infrastructure, different institutional. There's always a way. Mm-hmm. There's always a way. Yeah, you might just not. You just might see it from one point of view, but the infinite points of infinite ways of creating an extraordinary life or bringing your project to life, infinite ways. An example of that is my foundation, the Gomo Foundation. Regarde yes. the Gomo Foundation. Yes, the infinite ways you know of bringing things to life. So here I am. I'm in Australia. You know, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not even a millionaire yet. Mm. You know, I am playing that game inside of an inspiration of wanting to make a difference and being a role model, but not inside of just wealth creation for myself, but as an example and a representation of black black people that if I can do it, you can do it. So 
I started the Goma Foundation when, in my late 20s. Now, how was I able to do that? It wasn't inside of my, the money that I have, there's no money, but it's inside of looking at my environment and the network. So I started sharing my vision. I've had an opportunity. I want to give that opportunity to many people. Mm. Imagine a world if many Rugares also had an opportunity. What would the world be like? Maybe one of those girls would create technology for blind people to see. Maybe one of those girls would create the cure for cancer. We, the whole world may be working in laboratories in Monash University, Melbourne University, Harvard, yet it's the girl in rural Zimbabwe who has the answer. Mm. But because her mind is still closed, that her full potential and her contribution to the world is not yet going to be unlocked. That's what I'm standing for. Mm. We might be looking at the wrong place and putting the resources in the wrong area. What I'm standing for is everybody's mind, everybody's full potential being unleashed. That's what mm. I'm standing for. So inside of that, I started sharing that vision. What I did have was a network, a network of powerful people, a network of business people, a network of professional people. So I started sharing. I had organizations come in and contribute their expertise. You know, I had Maddox Law Firm doing all the legal work, setting it up. RSM Australia does all our accounting pro bono, even to today. Mm. You know, marketing companies, people from all walks of life. I have a board from some of Australia's top business people. And guess what? Nobody gets paid a cent. It's all inside of a big, big vision. I'm not saying that at some stage we might all need to do that as a resourcing thing to fulfill the vision. However, the big vision has brought so many people together to make that difference. And right now, we sponsor seven girls. We actually have our first two girls completing year 12. We sponsored oh. them from Form 1. From when? From year 1? Yeah. From, for, for, uh, oh, sorry. sorry, Form 1 is year 7. Okay, yeah. Sorry. It's from year oh. 7 to year 12 in Australia, in Zimbabwe, that's Form 1 to Form 6. For six years of their education. And we just had our first girl finish university. That's amazing. Well. You know? And that's all inside of making a stand and bringing people together to make that happen. People mm. might have money, people may have time, people may have other resources. So I'm clear we can achieve things together. So I may not have the capital, but somebody else might have yeah, the capital. The power of collaboration. Correct. Just like you and I collaborated today, you're creating a platform for me to use my voice. Yeah. You know, so today you're my partner in reaching and inspiring and touching the lives of a billion. Yeah, no, powerful. And I think what I want to leave this on here is because you did touch on it. I coined a term actually um, on a podcast that got about 20 views, but I coined the term. I kind of like it. So I'm sure you've heard FOMO, fear of missing out. Sure. I don't like that term. <laughs> I really don't. It just bugs me. It bugs me. So I wanted to make up my own sort of term and I've called it FOMP. And this is probably the only second time I've mentioned it out loud. Fear of missing potential. I think um, what we have in the world is a lot of missing potential because I think a lot of people limit themselves. What would, do you have anything to add to that? Yes. I always have something to add, obviously. I could talk for hours. So, um, what I'd like to add is that every single human being has potential. No matter where you live in the world, whether you're in Zimbabwe, Sudan, Chile, the United States, Moldova, everybody has potential. What, but what we, not everybody has opportunities or resources. Mm. 
So that's what that's what I'm out to accomplish. Yeah. Because that's not everybody has the tools to unlock their potential. And unfortunately, in the world that we are in today, you know, the world we are in today is a legacy of the Industrial Revolution. And sometimes they, our education doesn't actually unleash mm. our full potential. So my job is to empower people with the tools to unleash their full potential. Mm. That's powerful. But all right, I think on that note, we're almost out of time. Right. This has been a fantastic interview. There's a lot to take away. I want to thank you once again for your time and plug yourself. Where can people find you? Where can we find out more about the GOMO Foundation? And if people are based here in Melbourne, um, how can we get in touch with you for high performance coaching? Sure. Well, people can um, communicate and get in, um, in touch with me at www.rogaregomo.com. Don't forget to roll the R. And yeah, don't forget to roll the R, even when you type it out. And I'll spell that for you. That's R U G A R E G O M O. Um, and on my website, you'll find all the links you need to get in communication with me. Um, I love people to be part of the GOMO Foundation. You can connect with us at www.gomofoundation.org.au. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much. Zach. We'll have thank to do this again sometime. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege to have this conversation. And I acknowledge you for choosing to step out and unleash your full potential and making that available for so many people. So, you know, you're, you're trained as a lawyer, but here you are creating a podcast talking about people's stories. So I'm in, inspired by you. So oh, thank you, Zach. Thank you very That is the end of today's show, guys. What are you still doing here? You must have enjoyed today's show. So because you enjoyed today's show, do not forget to give this a rating and review. And do not forget to subscribe. Head on over to the Instagram page at Running From Comfort. Follow me there. Share this with all your friends because I know you enjoyed it and you know they'll enjoy it too. All right, we'll see you in the next episode.